General Vagon has called the Battle of France is over. The Battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome to the Lead Pursuit Podcast, a podcast covering Blood Red Skies, a game of World War II aerial combat. Thanks for joining us this evening for the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Tonight we're going to talk about a couple different things, a couple different ways to do your games, a couple different products that have come out. Uh, but I obviously have Chris and Brett back. Unfortunately, I know, I know, guys, you have to write in and tell me who you want to host the show besides me and my winning personality. But Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. It's just, you know, and more and more quarantine. So I can't wait for this to be over. <laughs> Brett, how are you doing, brother? Doing good. We're uh phase one here in florida i guess so we're starting to loosen restrictions nice. I, I mean, so you can, you can go back to the nude beaches and you can do all that again yep uh nude beaches uh, are open now and uh, probably soon i'll be able to get my nails done and that kind of thing excellent excellent i know you've been waiting on that well let's jump right in and talk about some of the things that we've seen in the intel update because i'm sure everyone's question is what the heck is coming out because nobody knows what warlords doing what other game companies are doing they're slowly getting themselves back into the grind of shipping things uh, as uh, we talked about in the happy hour we talked i think in the last episode as well um, the the crew over at warlord has just been bringing people back incrementally so haven't seen any new drops specifically from them uh, i've heard a lot of rumors and a lot of people talking about some things i've also heard some updates on a couple of the people that we support so miscellaneous minis, uh, for what I'm hear, hearing, is that they're focusing on production right now, not necessarily uh, making new custom ones, because, of course, with all of us chained inside our houses... Oh, wait, no, I don't live in Michigan. Uh, all of us restricted inside our houses. Uh, the the production and the uh, building up of miniatures and painting of miniatures and putting decals on has gone through the roof. So uh, they are obviously busy. AIM is still backed up, uh, running somewhere between six to eight weeks total. From, we need to get that guy uh, some fiber. I, <laughs> we, I need to figure out how we take all of his stuff, mass produce it with the same great quality, and still he gets paid. <laughs> yeah, that would be a definite plan. Yeah, he uh, he has some good stuff out there, uh, and uh, and obviously he's just backed up. He's working as hard as he can. Uh, molds are giving out, so he's having to redo molds. So it's uh, be patient dealing with the uh, the aim guys. Uh, some other things that just came out. Obviously, if you saw on Instagram, you saw on our Facebook feed, the the airstrike markers from Just Lasered uh, are done and finally in production. I don't know when it's going to hit his website. I checked again. It's not up there in live for ordering. But if you want those things and you're in the UK, uh, please drop Mel over at Just Lasered uh, an email and say, hey, man, I really want to order those new airstrike markers that still aren't on your website. And then he'll probably hook you up and, and get you in an order for those. We've got some coming to the U.S. We've got some more of the original ones we had uh, from Litco getting produced. So we should have a bunch of those for U.S.-based gamers here shortly. Those ones you posted up look really nice. They're good. I, I will be honest, Litco right now is kind of my my gold standard for, for mass-produced acrylic. And theirs, I think, are a little bit nicer uh, than the ones from Mel. Those but are the Mel ones that we got to select up. all the different colors for and everything. Right, so so the, the we looked at the ones, the colors we all picked were for Mel's. We already had the colors uh, for the Litco ones, uh, and those those were the sets that we sent out at the kind of the beginning, uh, probably beginning of the fall last year. 
Um, but they're, they're awesome, but they're just, they're more expensive and they take a little bit longer to get made than, than Mel's, um, Mel's production line where he cranks out all that, uh, that acrylic for us. So I love working with Mel. He's made all of our, uh, our template stuff. He's made our airstrike markers. He does a great job over there in the UK. Unfortunately, he's not here. So it costs me an arm and a leg to ship it over here. The other big piece of information we're going to announce is we've been talking for a while about Gathering of Eagles, which is scheduled to be uh, the first weekend in June. Uh, as should be no surprise to anyone, the restrictions are still not easing up necessarily to make uh, long-distance travel work. So we all talked on the team uh, this morning that's been putting together the event, and we decided between us and Warlord and some of the local people in Indianapolis to go virtual for this one. So like a lot of the other virtual events that are going on. We're going to have a variety of different Discord channels, variety of different video streams between YouTube, Facebook, some other mediums, uh, so that we can all interact over the weekend. We'll probably only do one day, unless all of you jump up and down and say, yes, absolutely, we want to spend our Saturday and Sunday uh, in front of our computers staring at little airplanes that we're not actually moving around the board and talking about little plastic airplanes. Uh, if you all want to do that, that's great. We were thinking of holding it to one day. But some more of that information will come out in the coming weeks, uh, and we'll get you all uh, the information on how to register for that. And that way we can all participate. Think of it as one big Blood Red Skies happy hour with not all the beer. Maybe we'll have all the beer. I don't know. We'll figure that part out. That but is anyway. the one good thing about freaking doing virtual is there's always a liquor license. There's always a liquor license, and if I fall down, I don't fall down the stairs at Adepticon. I just fall next to my desk here. So <laughs> I'll have the cats probably pooping on me, but who cares? Anyway, so moving on from the Intel update, uh, Hanger, has anyone picked up anything new in the mail? Anything worth talking about? I just finished some ME262s, and I'm starting in on some DO17s. I'm, I'm still working on LA5s. I've got flurry wash on them, and they're about half cleaned off. They're decaled up and got to seal them and finish their canopies. But they're coming along, and then I'm I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to jump into next. Well, at least what rolled in uh, in my Amazon package was my Eye of Sauron, as I call it, so my new, uh, my new webcam. So hopefully that'll get us a chance to do a few battle reports, a couple – uh, tactics reports and be able to uh, film some halfway decent video without it looking like uh, I'm using a, the webcam on my computer, which might as well be like a 360p camera, uh, and I could draw it with a crayon probably better, uh, although I'm in danger of eating the crayons. But anyway, so we're going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, you got to make a Marine joke when you're a Marine. That's all right. Okay, so the main topic for tonight, what are we talking about? Well, not everybody plays Blood Red Skies the same. Some people don't want to just beat up on their opponent and walk away and go drink a beer. They want to beat up on the same opponent over and over and over again. And they, they want to actually link these games with a storyline and a consistent squadron. I mean, I know, I know that sounds crazy, but there are people who do that in other gaming systems as well. So we're going to talk campaigns tonight. Obviously, Brett is kind of our campaign guy on the Lead Pursuit podcast, but we've also brought Steve Toth on. And you may know Steve as Steve... Meteor Man Toth, or Steve the Model Man Toth, uh, that guy that's done a lot of good work with the 3D models, producing some aircraft that aren't currently in print uh, with Warlord right now, or with AIM for that matter. Uh, and so, Steve, really good to have you on the podcast tonight. Hey, uh, yeah, thanks for having me, Doug. It's uh, cool to be on here. I listen to him all the time, so it's uh, cool to be on with you guys. 
Yeah, we're glad to have you on. And, you know, for once, it's not uh, you and I beating our head against the desk trying to figure out how to do something in tabletop sim, uh, <laughs> trying to trying to at least get the pixels to move in the right direction. Yeah, you're not you're not kidding that. Uh, it's the progress that that's making. I feel like it's making a ton of progress and just refinement over the last you know month or so. But uh, certainly there's uh, some road bumps along the way. Yeah, absolutely. You, you've done some great work, uh, specifically here recently, some things that are probably going to drop in version two uh, with uh, changing how the models interact and some things. So I really appreciate that, even though I swear every time the conversation starts with Brett saying, hey, this ought to be really easy. I think Steve can do this. And then you and I look at Brett and go, really? Did, did you just volunteer us for that? Thanks. Just thanks. Mi Brett. Minor upgrades. That's all. Yeah, minor <laughs> upgrades. Minor upgrades that cause us to be staring at the screen for hours going, why is it not working? It's so simple. But anyway, enough about Tabletop Sim. Campaigns. So I'll throw the question out to Steve first, and, and Brett, you can pitch in, but, but why a campaign? Why not just play different variants with different squadrons and other stuff, but why, why campaign at all in Blood Red Skies? Uh, man, I think uh, the neat thing about it is just, uh, at least for me, is that continuity between games and uh, getting that attachment to your squadron or your your model or a certain plane or something like that it's just really cool to keep that going between games and uh honestly it's led me to learn a lot about stuff that i didn't know about historically i'm a i'm a aviation fanatic but i'm not really an aviation historian so being an engineer i love the airplanes i love the machinery but doing the campaign has led me to a lot of that more historic stuff that i you know wasn't really aware of yeah, when we were first looking at, uh, I guess a few episodes back when Sandstorm first dropped and I read through that, I was right away geeking out about, oh man, look at the potential of this. Imagine you could play these things and keep on going. And that's where it all but started Brett, for you, me. You geek out about anything new that drops, whether it's a scenario or campaign. So I have to take that with a grain of salt. And I'll admit when, when you first said, hey, I've dug into this, this Sandstorm thing, it looks really cool. I was kind of skeptical because I'm like, what would Warlord be giving away for free in a free PDF? I mean, really, can it be all that good? And then I actually read through it. And and, and I think it's pretty neat. I, you know, I know you guys have done some modifications and kind of made some tweaks and combined some systems. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But uh, you, I was actually surprised that something um, that was a free PDF on the on the website had some new aircraft cards, some new trait or some new uh, uh, equipment cards, things like that. And I guess one positive trait in there um, for can opener. And so there were some other cool things that were in there. I was like, this this has some potential. Um, but I. I'm not really a campaign gamer. Obviously, I guess none of us really have been in the uh, <laughs> in the last couple months uh, with the way uh, the, the social distancing and the isolation works. But but now with Tabletop Sim, you guys are starting to play a campaign, right? Uh, yeah, and that's been cool too because I really uh, there's not really anybody around me that plays, and I love the models, and I love collecting the models, and I love the painting, and I love the uh, the hands-on creative side of the hobby. But there's very few options from besides you know going up and playing a game with my old man just a casual game to actually play the game so it's cool to get into tabletop sim and actually get to play some of the game and collect those models and but actually get to play through it you know brett what are some of the things you saw uh kind of going into tabletop sim uh, that you that were a little bit different than when we'd been playing the games you know around the table that that kind of affected how the campaign flows 
Uh, well, I guess to start off, I would say Steve and I started playing just kind of casually, really just to get more familiar with the game. Because, you know, I've done a lot of play testing with you, but a lot of times we start those games right off the bat. You already have a preset scenario you want to run. And so when we would work together on those, everything was kind of preset. And uh, it didn't often give me an opportunity to exercise like the pregame setup steps and some of those other things. So those were less familiar to me. I mean, I, I, I know the, you know, how the aircraft move and some of the basic uh, order of operations, but when you start getting into the different scenarios and the details about the different deployments and how you roll for this and that, I wasn't familiar with that, but we started just playing regular box missions on tabletop simulator and we started getting more um, familiar with those and, and seeing, Oh man, this was really cool. I mean, depending on what you roll up, you get a different game every single time. And that started our conversations about the potential for Sandstorm or building a campaign of our own that was kind of based on Sandstorm, and that's how we kind of got rolling on it. But that's what I found different from the beginning was just um, just playing through regular box games using the, using the pregame setup right from the, right from the rule book. It kind of pointed us in that direction, I guess. Well, so you guys made some modifications. Obviously, you went out and looked at a couple other campaign systems. Uh, what were some of the things that you, you guys jumped in and, and specifically said, hey, I want to do a little bit different. I want to add a little bit more flavor. Well, we got together to when we decided, hey, let's do this. Let's really start exploring this. You want to build a roster? We just did it strictly off of what's available in Sandstorm. Not really knowing a whole lot about it. I, mean, I think both of us had read through it and stuff. But uh, So we that's what we did. We just busted out Sandstorm. We got on Discord and started rolling dice to build our rosters and stuff. And we realized right away as we started going through the steps that uh, I think, Steve, you, you're the one that actually said it. You're like, hey, what about this thing? There's some, I, I know I saw that somewhere. What was that? Yeah, I remembered, uh, We were. I felt like reading Sandstorm, there was something missing that I had read. And then just going back through the ready room, uh, Andy had posted, uh, I, I guess, like an auxiliary campaign idea. And it had a lot of the stuff for introducing new aircraft and time frame of the war, uh, which Sandstorm didn't really have anything so we started implementing uh what year we were going to start what planes we were going to start with uh, and then we kind of meshed those two campaigns together and settled on our our final rules that were that we're playing yeah a big part of what's in sandstorm was really what we wanted you know the way you spend xp the way you build your roster your individual pilots your starting skill levels all that stuff is straight out of sandstorm but what we learned is that sandstorm of course it's it's Mediterranean theater, but it's actually a campaign that's designed to be about five games long. And we were thinking, man, we want something a little longer than that. And that's where uh, Steve's recollection of something he had read before, Andy's campaign rules, that's designed to cover and span really the whole war in any theater you want to start with. Um, I guess the best way to describe it, it's kind of like if there's a chart that's kind of like the charts you see for theater and doctrine cards right in the um, airstrike book. But it has blocks of time, and it gives you, based on faction you're playing and, and theater and time frame, what aircraft you have available, what aircraft you have available to you, and you can kind of just go from there. So we incorporated that kind of building component to this idea we had, used a lot of the components for Sandstorm, and then Andy's rules had a lot more uh, crunchy stuff for things like. Um, aircraft damage and 
potential pilot injury stuff. If somebody has to bail out and that kind of thing, that part's a lot more compressed in the sandstorm campaign, but we liked it. We thought that might be kind of cool. And so we have, um, kind of incorporated those elements to, of both into one system that we're using right now. That's pretty cool. Well, and this may seem like an off-the-wall question. I'll show you where it's going in a minute. But, Steve, what's what's your wargaming background? Are you a, a video game guy that's now gotten into board games? You're an old role-playing guy, miniatures games. What what uh, kind of brought you to Blood Red Skies to uh, start yeah, with? Oh, yeah. I uh, I actually have always played tabletop games, and I actually uh, – my biggest hobby that I'm in is actually a miniature football. And if anybody remembers the old vibrating metal board game where the guys run around uh, about in the early 2000s, people figured out how you could actually get those guys to run how you want. And uh, there's tournaments all over the country that's mo- basically football on a miniature board, right? Uh, and I'd always wanted to get into war gaming. I'd always wanted to – I've seen all the other strategy games. And uh, – Somebody turned me on to Flames of War and was looking at YouTube videos of that. And next thing you know, I was uh, down the YouTube rabbit hole and stumbled onto some Blood Red Skies videos. And what was great about it is it seemed like a really simple game to just pick up and learn how to play. And then once, especially now getting into Airstrike and the campaign, the the depth that's there out of that really simple mechanic just uh you know just makes the game incredibly fun to play well you know that's that's the funny thing seeing the different backgrounds people come from uh for nerds like chris and i who come from a role-playing game background we're used to emotionally investing in in characters and in members of a party and you know now extrapolate it to members of the squadron Uh, i think it's going to be interesting to see the two of you play through a campaign system because you guys don't come from that kind of character-based invested background. And it's and I think Brett alluded to it when we were talking offline one time. He's like, there's a point where you go, I'm just going to run my aircraft off the board because I don't want this guy to get shot down. Have you guys started running into that kind of, that kind of situation in your games? Yeah, that's already actually happened. Um, we played one game so far, and a, a couple of interesting things happened. Uh, one in the game, I had a situation where... Uh, my guy was, you know, kind of in trouble. It was a twin engine. It was a 110. It already had a boom chit on it. And there were some, some hurricanes around him, and it might have been dicey. And I thought, you know, I should probably get this guy off the table because I'd really hate to to lose him. You know, I need this guy in a future a future game. And and, and our um, our rosters are pretty thin on skill level. Most of our guys are twos and threes. Most of them are twos actually. And he was one of my uh, pilot skill three guys. So I was, you know, really kind of fearful losing uh, old Hans there. So uh, I flew him off the table. And we were joking about it afterwards. We were like, man, you know, things like that are decisions that never would have occurred to me if we were just playing, you know, a normal one-off game. But you have to start thinking about the potential for things later. And and I've noticed, too, there's other things that may affect decision-making. Like as these guys begin to level up, you know, I'm, I, I think we're building our rosters for our next game. I'm thinking, well, I got to put this guy in again because he's got to get some more points so he can continue to level up. If I sit him out, you know, he loses the opportunity to get the points. You know, stuff like that that is never even a part of just a one-off game. And uh, the other thing I mentioned, there was a couple things that have happened that are unique to this kind of investment in the characters and stuff. Uh, I've already started to, get, you know, it's already been a little taunting and stuff. Steve sent me a, a post in Messenger. It was like a it was like a uh, 
a wanted poster or whatever of a Luftwaffe pilot. It was my, it was my, uh, squadron commander. He, uh, had like a, some kind of wanted poster. He said floating around the, uh, officers club at the, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> uh, RAF squadron headquarters, I guess. So I'm like, oh man, yeah. it's already started, you know? <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. A little bit of banter there. Well, yeah. Steve, what's your take so far on, on, in a sense, building characters, building members of your squadron that you're now invested in a little bit emotionally. Uh, you know, it's been a, uh, it's been really fun. A couple of things with that. Uh, you know, he was saying the pilot skill. Uh, he has one guy that's a pilot skill for, and right now he's the only guy uh, in the uh, in the whole campaign that's a pilot skill for. Everybody else is threes and twos. And there were a couple times just in that first game where I was like, man, I gotta, I have an opportunity here where I can maybe get a tailing on this pilot skill four, uh, maybe took some risks that I wouldn't normally have thinking, oh, if I could get that, that, you know, that high level pilot out of the game early, kind of even the tables for my guys. And uh, also this last game, it was kind of neat. They're not in the sandstorm rules, but they are in the auxiliary campaign rules that were put out with uh, the plane damage and bailing out and stuff like that. The, the post-game stuff is pretty cool, even when you're done playing, where you, uh, you know, he had gotten hit, not gotten shot down, but took damage on his airplane. So there was a chart you had to go to to roll to see how bad the damage was. Uh, depending how that rolled, I think Brett uh, elected to bail out instead of roll the, for the damage of the plane. So he bailed out. Uh, which then went to another role to see if he was hurt. But it also, because he bailed out, caused him to lose that uh, lose that plane for the next game. So it's just really neat to see uh, how it's just going to evolve over, over the whole course of the campaign. Yeah, all kinds of bad things can happen. I mean, if a guy gets a boom chit on him, you have to go to that aircraft damage table, which might just not, might might be a big, not, not a big deal, right? It, it, it could not end perilously could be no problem but it has the potential to go really south in my case with that one it was because i flew off the table and he had some damage so not only did i have to resolve some damage stuff but because he flew off the table i had to take a maneuver check i failed my maneuver check which meant that because of his damage he wasn't going to make it back home and then i had to figure out exactly how bad it was going to be and uh he uh he didn't he didn't you know i think some of the options are he, you know, land successfully, no, no problem, or crash with some kind of damage and potential injury to the pilot. But uh, you have the potential to, um, to avoid some of that potential catastrophe by trying to bail out. I, and I made the decision like, okay, I'll lose the airplane, but I'll try to bail out, and maybe the odds on that chart will be a little better than, uh, than dying outright or something in some fiery mishap at a, you know, forced landing. And um, my guy bailed out successfully and wasn't injured, but I lost the plane, like you said. So I'll have to replace that aircraft at some point if I want to have another one. It's kind of one so of how do you replace aircraft? Do you burn experience points? Do you do you get so many points a turn of supplies or whatever that you can either repair or rebuild? Yeah, the squadron. So your individual pilots build XP based on their individual actions, and the squadron gets XP based on your performance for, towards the mission and maybe some other things. And you can then use your squadron points squadron points could be used for a couple things purchasing new aircraft and recruiting new pilots getting uh, replacement pilots uh individual pilots use their xp to level up to the next higher skill level and to i think you can also use xp once you become a status to um to uh, purchase additional ace traits so 
that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, it's making me want to send you this the old copy of uh, Thunderbolt Apache Leader because there's a, a lot of similarities there uh, with the cool things that you can do to, you know, there's always encounters whenever you're coming back from the battle area. So you could have had a thoroughly successful mission, gone out, destroyed the enemy, you come back and all of a sudden one of your aircraft has a hydraulic failure. So you, you go through a very similar uh, set of charts like that. And you go, all right, do I want to take this back and land? Do I want to eject? If I eject, do I, um, you know, do I have a problem with getting picked up by the SAR assets? Uh, so sometimes you lose the airplane and the pilot. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of cool. Uh, There's got that uh, that level of depth. Uh, for everything well, it's kind of fun i mean it's in just building the squadron initially there, it doesn't have any uh, game impact but you roll on you know what the each individual pilot's pre-war background is and what his top three personality traits are it just kind of gives it a little flavor i mean actually i i think a couple times i referred to it i was there was a decision point where i could take like kind of a big risk or you know and, and actually refer to that pilot's uh, personality traits to see, you know, is he going to chicken out or is he going to go for it? Cause he's fearless, you know, that kind of thing. That was, that was just kind of fun little, instead of just rolling a dice for it or, or, you know, just, I kind of was able to refer back to the narrative, I guess, and, and play that. So that was kind of fun. And I, I know, uh, Steve and I were talking a little bit about, it. I think he's probably taken it a step further just in his own record keeping. I think he said he's made like a spreadsheet to kind of keep track of his guys. What, what have you done there, Steve? Yeah, so really all I did was I just, uh, in Sandstorm there, I think it was Sandstorm had a pilot roster sheet in it. Uh, right, right. On the yeah, back end and the so PDF. all I did is I just kind of took that and just made it so I can easily update it, uh, you know, between games because it's a lot, like he said, there's squadron XP and then there's uh, pilot XP and then you're also tracking uh, how many kills each pilot gets because they have to have a certain amount of kills to go to the next status and then I'm, i think brett's even taking it farther than that where he's giving you know true life uh luft luftwaffe awards to guys who knock bombers out of formation and uh you know all kinds of stuff so i think he's even gone further than that with the record keeping but it's it's just cool even even just to play some of the different scenarios is really neat uh i had never played anything but your pretty basic dogfight scenario so you know to set up one uh, i think we played bounced one night that wasn't part of their campa campaign that really got us thinking and then uh, this first campaign game was a uh, 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 some type of airstrike scenario i forget which one brett oh it's priority target um scenario seven yeah but it, it was cool you know because then you're you know, not only are you thinking about getting those bombers there, but making sure your pilots, you know, you're not risking the pilots to succeed in the mission. And it's just really linking everything together. It's just really, really a fun gaming experience. And it makes me want to, playing it on Tabletop Sim now, it's funny, it's made me want to go out and get a whole bunch of, I want to paint my squadron in real life. You know, I, I want them in plastic. And I never thought you'd ever hear me say I'd uh, want to paint RAF planes. I'm definitely a Pacific Theater, uh, P-40, Corsair, Hellcat kind of guy. But I, I need to get an order of some uh, RAF planes now so I can paint my squadron in real life. It's kind of the same for me. I, I have all the 110s, but I'm I'm going to get another box of 110s just so I can paint these guys because I have a You're scheme pathetic. in mind. Yeah, it's pathetic. <laughs> You're horrible. You're a terrible person. But that's all right. You're keeping Warlord in business. So. Yeah, three, four squadrons of one tens. <laughs> Probably the only guy on the planet. <laughs> 
Yeah, Chris is going to be out there saying, "Okay, hey guys, I've got my uh, my Russian forces fielded. Uh, which ones do we want to do?" And Brett's going to say, "Oh no, I need to make some more Eastern Front." Yeah, they've got to exactly. Because I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I can't match up the exact year. Uh, yeah, what year are we done. playing? So now I need to do winter scheme. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chris, it's going to be terrible. This is this what's is wrong not with that? Well. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Yeah, this is not going to work out well for us. You know, we did something else that was kind of uh, inspiring. Uh, you know, got us thinking a lot about it too. We read through the um, the uh, stuff from Two Fat Lardies. Oh gosh, what Squadron Forward? It's supposed to be that uh, sort of not not game specific rule set. It's I, I guess they do stuff for Bag the Hun, but they they came out with the Squadron Forward campaign system to be sort of system agnostic, so you could apply it to whatever game. And and it's really detailed. I mean, far more detailed than I think we're really prepared to jump into right now. I think what we've done by combining the kind of compressed sandstorm stuff with Andy's campaign mechanics is really super juicy for where we want to be. But that uh, squadron forward stuff is super detailed. I mean, it Mm, has juicy. I don't think that was one of the search terms from Florida though. No, no, it was boats. (laughs) It was boats. (laughs) Florida man. So, uh, uh, the squatter forward thing is crazy i mean it has it has a non-player character interactions that you have to roll on and stuff so and it's it's amusing uh but that's where i got the um the luftwaffe award uh idea so it's just for my own amusement but part of my post-game action is to roll up and see uh you know, make notes of what actions my guys did. And, you know, that has game effect in the rules we're playing. But then as a side thing, just for my own uh, entertainment, I can actually uh, award my guys different uh, flyer medals and stuff. I think I got a couple of guys in the last game that got their Iron Cross second class. It was kind of interesting. <laughs> That's actually pretty cool. The uh, You know, it's funny because uh, James, a friend of ours that uh, dropped us the line on the podcast about you know, using that set of rules, using squadron forward. Uh, you know, he's a former Super Hornet Wizzo. Uh, it's it's kind of funny. He's like, yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things. It has all of those rules, and you can integrate it, but it's got tons of rules. <laughs> so it sounds like it's really uh, really a neat system, and and I'll have to take a look at that as well because I think there's a lot of cool things you can do in a campaign, but there does become a level of of balancing. How much am I doing outside the campaign versus just the actual gameplay itself? I know we were talking offline and I was mentioning Traveler, which is an old role-playing game that I used to play years ago. And and you would spend, I think, almost as much time generating characters as you would playing the game because there were so many options and there were so many different things you could do and you could decide, do I want this guy to be a scientist for five years and then leave the science corps or whatever and go be a mercenary and, and you get different skills and, and, and you level up differently um, based off of that. And so I, I think some of that's pretty cool to introduce to Blood Red Skies where you, you learn a little bit about your each of your pilot's backgrounds. You can choose to to have that impact the game or not as much as you want. But it gives a little bit of continuity uh, from from one dogfight game to the next. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see you guys integrate that with, with more of the airstrike scenarios uh, because thankfully the airstrike scenarios until you get down to the last one aren't too... Um, to mission specific, you can generally introduce any kind of bombers on striking any kind of target, uh, and it all works out in there. It's it's only the last one's kind of a, a forward battlefield area uh, kind of target. That's the one we're playing next. Um, at the end of our last game, we decided to to roll up, see what our next game, you know, so we can start building our roster until our next game night, and uh, that's the one we rolled for mission ten. So it's pretty cool. 
yeah, Mission Ten is just one of those that's, that's interesting to see how it how it plays out because there's a lot of different uh, different little tweaks you can make to it. Well, the thing that's kind of neat about it is it's going to one of the things I think will have the most significant impact on the game we'll play is there's definitely a division on the table, my side, your side, and depending on where guys potentially get shot down, really, I'll have a big potentially long term impact on our roster because if a guy gets shot down on the enemy side he's captured automatically and uh you know you, you roll later to see if maybe he escapes but he might be gone forever <laughs> there's there's a chance you get him back but steve, it won't be right away steve don't shoot down brett's guys on your <laughs> side of the table i don't want him jumping back on facebook chat crying to us about how he lost his favorite luftwaffe pilot and he's in some allied pow camp yeah you know. don't want to hear i have some really really nasty plans in my raf uh in tournament camps too so uh you know, it'll be, be yeah, pretty yeah. Well, there there better be some banter on our uh, <laughs> Facebook chats when some of that happens. Uh, that's that's the least I expect out of all you guys. You were talking about how we rolled for personality traits and pre-war background and stuff. That doesn't have any relevance and in, in, you know, no impact on the game as we're playing it. But we mentioned the squadron forward stuff. It definitely does in that in that rule set. I mean, uh, you'll roll a bunch of stuff and certain. I don't know if you would call them extreme, but uh, uh, personality traits on the, on either ends of the spectrum. If you end up rolling for those, they'll either have positive impacts on things you roll for later, or negative impacts on things you roll for later. Whether it's something to do with reinforcements or resupply, or some of those right. non-player character interactions that happen in that rule set, it, it's pretty impressive the the level of detail they go to in there. We we haven't adopted any of those, but it's just kind of cool to see it. It, it it's part of what got us excited about doing this but um anyway i, I wanted to ask chris because he's he's been uh i think he sent some stuff today from uh was that corsair leader yeah i like just sent a- you some pictures of the campaign cards and uh you know not to to you know throw dvg stuff out there you know as fodder i mean it's copyrighted material but um it's a game that we've purchased and it's got a bunch of maps and there's just all those cards. I mean, they've got all these different scenarios and there, there's definitely potential for porting some of that stuff over, um, or just using it as an idea, um, to, to make some of your own stuff for campaigns. Because if you had campaigns we were playing, like those are just really neat. Cause you've got like Rabal Island and you've got like one through 24 and you look up one through 24 and there's a little card pack. And that's why I threw those cards out there on that one is, you know, it's like, what is mission? You know, what is target one? You go to the target deck and you say, Oh, okay. It's a, it's a ground headquarters or it's an airfield or it's, you know, it's a, it's, you know, you fighting zeros, you fighting bombers. So there's a lot of potential there for you to, to create, you can even find ways to make it rapidly generate or um, randomly generate. Um, you would just have to, in your campaign, you would have to have somebody on the other side that had the capability to do the things, you know, all of the things. So when you roll up the mission, you know, I, I don't know exactly how sense right works, but when you said you, you guys are trying to determine what you're going to do with your mission, are you determine your roster and types of aircraft? Is Does it get to that level? Or are you just looking at... Like we're gonna do hurricanes versus one tens, we're gonna do hurricanes versus one oh nines, or is there a ground target? How exactly you when you when you say you're trying to come up with what you're doing, how do you do that? Well that that's the real beauty of what Steve found, because that was the piece that was kind of missing since we didn't really want to just play MTO. We we kinda wanted to start early war, right? Battle of Britain kind of era. At, at least there. And um that's what's in Andy's rule set, is that it's kind of like a calendar chart or whatever. So you pick the theater in the time frame in your faction, and it tells you 
what aircraft you have available to you. So kind of like how Sandstorm that's laid out for you. Yeah. Uh, it's laid out for you on that chart. And so every, what is it, Steve? Is it like four month blocks? You can see that it, it definitely changes. There's a progression in what's available for factions and stuff as you go. Is yeah, right? they basically have it set up. There's a, it starts in 1940 and I forget what year it ends at, but there's a early, mid and a late of each year. So there are four month blocks. Uh, and in those blocks, it tells you how many planes are available. So some of the planes are like plentiful and you can have as many as you want. Uh, and just the section of, of the war that we're in, uh, I know uh, Brett's 110s have a limit on them, so he can only have so many 110s in his squadron. My uh, Spitfire 2s have a limit on them. I can only have so many of those, uh, which adds a whole other level where, you know, if you would get, you know, if he would he lost that 110 last game, it he might not be able to resupply that 110 until they're, uh, you know, more readily available later on in the war. And it just keeps progressing in those four-month chunks. And the missions do the same. So, uh, you know, there's spots where we're, we're basically rolling dice and it's telling you what your next mission's going to be. And then an airstrike, I believe, was the chart where it said, you know, this year, this time frame, uh, you know, this is what your target should be. So it's we're randomly generating that stuff as we go along. Yeah, that sounds similar. I mean, in in DBG, you're randomly generating some stuff, but some stuff is kind of it's canned to the scenario and the target card you pick and which scenario you end up with. So, like I said, there there's probably some some ability to cross pollinate some of this stuff with what you guys are doing. Um, but like I said, with Be Heaven Corsair Leader, it's like everything Pacific. It's got like every Pacific theater you can think of from Pearl Harbor all the way through. I mean, Okinawa. So I, th I think I haven't exactly broken all of them out, but I think there's like 20 some odd campaigns in there. And each one of them has about 24 to about 24, 20 targets on each campaign map. So there's a lot of replayability there, a lot of ability to generate different campaigns. But I'm sure that there's something I mean, I don't I haven't looked at everything DVG has. I mean, Doug would be the one to ask on that. But if there was a. I don't know if they have any European stuff at all. I think just about everything they have is Pacific variant. Yeah, not, not to the level for fighter stuff yeah. the way that Corsair is. So, um, And Corsair obviously is leading to their expansion to zero liter to kind of tell the other side of the war. So all of a sudden you now have you know, decreasing pilot skill <laughs> as, the, yeah. as the campaigns go on. You go, huh, that doesn't help too much. Um, but uh, I don't know. I don't know their status of what they're going to do for truly a European fighter one because I don't think their B seventeen one did fighter stuff. I think it was just bomber. But I don't know. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's they've got so many different leader games. I can't keep them. I, I noticed. <laughs> I noticed he posted a picture of them testing the um, the zero leader. Um, yeah. I think it was today or yesterday. But yeah, I saw the, that. And it had actual little zeros on flight stands. So oh, with the nice. counters see, laying I, I around them. I didn't see that. I saw Yeah, them, uh, and I was like, because at first when I first looked at it, I was like, are those Blood Red well, Sky Zeros that they put on flight stands? So, so this is right. <laughs> They've got to be. He's pre-production on that. On, so on the, on the bad friend that I am, I only sent you the games and didn't send you the models. <laughs> so you could go on DVG and they have. Oh, I, I had no scale. idea. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so that makes sense. I put all that stuff in the cart and I'm like. Uh, I like Chris, but I don't know that I like him that much. <laughs> no, I was, dude, that game is super expensive to begin with. So I couldn't believe how much it cost when I looked it up. I was like, oh, uh. yeah, you're like, you're like what is he trying to get board. out of me? What does he want to stay at my house for a week? What's going on? <laughs> oh, no, you can't sleep with my wife just because you bought me a game. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, that'll just get us both in trouble. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. That wouldn't that wouldn't work out very well at all. So yeah, look, yeah, B seventeen liters is all uh, all bomber kind of kind of stuff. So yeah, I was um, saying if you had like a freaking Stuka liter, or a freaking hurricane leader, or something like that, or one oh nine liter, man, that would just be that stuff would cross port like instantly. But if you guys, if you go down the Pacific rabbit hole, like I said, a lot of this stuff we can use. I mean, it's it's it would be pretty neat just the way it kind of lays a lot of stuff out for you because you can tell there's a lot of thought process that goes into it i mean just the various things on the island the various types of missions for everything i've read about the pacific a lot of these cards in the campaign they, they marry up to kind of stuff that was really going on so it's not like it's just thrown out there there's a lot of research that went into it yeah and you know that i i have to say that's like i said that's one of the things that's really intrigued me about this uh getting more into the wargaming is I, i'm just uh I love airplanes, always have, uh, but I've never really been a historian. So when I go to, I love going to air shows, but I go and I, I look at the engineering side of it, the, the machine side of it. So just learning more about this and, you know, listening to Brett talk about that stuff, it's just really cool diving, diving in into that realm of the wargaming community, I guess. Yeah, Doug, you were asking earlier what how we got the starting point for this whole thing. And that's probably it. It was all the work we've done for the, the Malta stuff. And then the Stalingrad stuff, just reading all about these pilots and their exploits and all the crazy and tragic things that happened. That's probably really what was the primer, I guess, for getting interested in doing a campaign stuff. Cause I'd, you know, I think without really acknowledging it, I was thinking, gosh, it sure would be fun to play this squadron through all these different theaters. And now we're doing it. Right. So Oh, yeah, and it's been a ton of fun. And I, I got to tell you, if I was in like a gaming group or had like once a week, uh, you know, once a week gaming meetups, this would just be awesome. I could see myself going home between each week and coming back with, you know, new victory marks painted on them and stuff like that. And then, you know, you paint that airplane up and that guy gets shot down. You're kind of like a real crew chief. Like, man, I can't believe I can't put this plane back on the board. I just spent an hour updating the paint scheme from last week, you know? So just the, the continuation of it is really neat. Now that's gonna That's, that sounds pretty cool. I'm looking forward to at least watching how the campaign goes while I'm sitting there trying to figure out the next stupid thing to do in tabletop. Simulator. Yeah, I know that that was the thing I was reading about Necromunda that it seemed like so many people were so enthralled with when you listen to some of the cast about that. And they were just like, you know, you take all this time and you build these gangs up and you, you really take the time to, to make your gang look like who they are. And you've got like 20 guys. And then you're like, Oh man, that model's out of this campaign for like ever. <laughs> you spent all that time on it. So it, it adds that, that next that level of tension that you don't get when you're just throwing models on the board welcome so, to the salty tears of role-playing gamers you killed my fighter no. my cleric absolutely. is dead <laughs> the closest thing I, i've played that this reminds me of from that you know being invested with the individual models is uh blood bowl where you know you can lose guys and get knocked out of the campaign and stuff it's like that kind of yeah. I mean, when we were playing, you know, in the Horse Heresy League dang, down in Michigan, they did some a little bit of campaign stuff. But it was like one character where you would have a character. If you went to enough events with Ryan, you would actually get dog tags and the dog tags would give you um, permanent abilities that you would apply to every campaign until that character died. This is my space marine. He's a he's, 
He's special because he's a space wolf. He's, dude, he's got dude, claws. You roll up against some wickedly rolled up stuff. There was a, one guy that played freaking Dark Mechanicum, and he had this Magos that was just absolutely freaking sick. And it, the funny thing was, in the gaming group, it became like this running rally cry of who is going to finally do this guy in. Oh, oh, awesome. So you were like, like you know, stinky role-playing gamers and heresy nerds all put together. Awesome. Oh, oh you better believe I'm, it, so, man. It was so sad that I missed Level this. 10. <laughs> oh. oh, thank goodness I wasn't invited. I'll go play with my little plastic airplanes. Better run painted. <laughs> all right. Uh, enough of that. Well, we've been talking for quite a while about this. I don't want to take away everyone's evening. I know we've got a couple listener questions and some things to talk about at the end. Uh, but Steve, anything kind of in closing uh, about campaigns that you want to make sure at least the listeners know? No, I mean, I think it's just uh, we covered a lot of it and it's just really uh, any way that you can get some personal investment, I guess, in a in a game like this, it just makes it so much more fun. It's funny how we've you know we've ended our games and you kind of walk away from the table and you're like, oh man, I wish I I could have done that or oh man, I should have pressed harder to kind of get that guy. I could have got him there. So it's just funny how you keep thinking of it, you know, in between games and you're gonna carry that stuff over. So just like you, I'm I'm curious to see where it goes. But th- thanks a lot for having me on. Yeah, that that's pretty cool. No, glad to do it. Brett, any uh, last thoughts on the campaign? No, I'm just glad that we have Tabletop Simulator too, because Steve and I live, you know, several states apart and we're in lockdown, of course. So we're able to continue this thing and likely play on a pretty regular basis, at least through Tabletop Simulator. So that's fun. And at some point, I'm sure we'll be able to get together and actually put some real models on the table. But yeah, uh, it's, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been an opportunity to play way more games just very recently that I've been able to play really ever so well, that would be a really classic way to do it too is you, you play online with somebody and then finally you guys meet up and you have like kind of a grudge match where you're putting actual models on the table <laughs> for oh, games, i thought you, you were going to say that they were going to go skipping down into the fields of, of poppies holding hands or like that. <laughs> they finally had met in person it's like 90 day fiance but with tabletop simulator Okay, now that everyone's thoroughly oh. disturbed by that image. Yeah, really disturbed. Mind. Yeah, I didn't know it was that type of podcast. You guys kind of... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have many disturbing images in this podcast. Awesome. But anyway, Thanks, guys. Yeah, absolutely good to have you on. Well, moving on to some uh, some listener questions. So, uh, Brendan Bond sent us a couple questions as uh, he discovered the, the Blood Red Skies tabletop sim mod through being a tabletop sim guy and was asking some questions. Um, but obviously uh, had asked, hey, you know, we've got the current uh, rule book that's out there, the, the basic PDF rule book, nothing for airstrike yet, none of the scenarios and none of the advanced uh, booklets. Uh, is that stuff coming out? And then, you know, asked likewise, you know, how many more airplanes? What about MIG Alley? Uh, what other kind of things are going to be in there? So here's the good news and here's the bad news. The good news is all those things are fairly straightforward to digitize. Aircraft cards d- don't take too long. Uh, rule books, real quick and easy. You can import PDFs straight into Tabletop Sim. Uh, airplanes, I, I don't know. I, th- I think Steve and I can argue over how long it takes. Sometimes it's really easy, then sometimes we forget a one or a zero somewhere <laughs> accidentally, and it takes us hours to figure out what we've done wrong with an airplane model. Uh, but those things could be done. Right now, Warlord is not very enthusiastic about releasing more than just the basic uh 
the starter pack game and not even releasing the extra rule books that haven't been uh, that aren't in PDF format online. And and they're thinking a little bit like a 1980s uh, wargaming company, which they pretty much are uh, in organization and in and in leadership. Uh, and they're and they're trying to protect their IP. They're afraid that if everything gets out there, then no one will buy their miniatures or buy the packs of of cards and things like that. And I think that most of the listeners of the podcast would disagree with that. And I know everyone who's been in the the happy hours, the couple times we've talked about it, uh, the overwhelming feeling is, just like Steve said earlier, the, the problem is playing tabletop sim actually makes me want to go out and buy more miniatures and, and buy different aircraft and, and play with these in real on the table. Uh, so what I'd say is to anyone who wants more official, and I use the keyword official, uh, Blood Red Skies, Tabletop Sim, things authorized by Warlord, please, 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 please email them at info at warlordgames.com. Uh, and if you can just address it to either Paul or to their management team and say, hey, love you guys, love the games you do. Uh, trust us, playing with little pixels is not going to keep us from buying more resin miniatures and plastic miniatures and cards because we love the physical game. Uh, I think they would be responsive to a, a groundswell of information. So um, that's kind of my plea uh, for this pandemic lockdown. Everyone else is asking for a variety of different things, money, assistance, food. Uh, I'm asking for you to email Warlord Games and let them know how much you like Tabletop Sim not because it helps me at all, but it helps me make a case for turning over more material officially to everyone. Um, what I will also say is, once you buy those cards, you have all the information you need in front of you. It may not be in the game, but you know what your cards say. Uh, you can type that out on any of the game note cards in Tabletop Sim, and now you're not illegally importing someone else's IP. Um, and if you don't take that IP and put it up for someone else to download... Um, it's really kind of a gray area. So if, if you just import a card, you and your buddies play with that card and you're not putting it out in the workshop in Steam, um, that's that's really kind of still falls under a little bit of the fair use uh, clauses out there. So absolutely go play some more games. Play with different models, different aircraft. Um, ring out Tabletop Sims, Blood Red Skies uh, version. Break it and let me know what you broke and I'll make Steve fix it because I can never fix these things. <laughs> well, that's a good point. You're constantly coming out with new stuff. I mean, you, you, you have a plan you're still releasing stuff on about a weekly basis. Yeah, because I'm behind. Movies. So I, I'm behind, and so I haven't released everything I want. Uh, well, I only say that because I hope that if people get on there, they don't think that uh, if it's imperfect in any way from their perspective that it's done. I mean, you, you put it right. out purposely with the idea, like, this is now playable, go, and you'll continue to make the updates as you have the time to to make the changes and the, and the additions. Well, and, and that's why I, I kind of hope people read the the text in the um, in the kind of the callout box beneath the the mod because I'll tell you what I'm working on next. Um, and some of those things have been in that that future plans section, like uh, Ace Traits. Yeah, Ace Traits is the last thing I've I've been getting to to put those in. The nice thing is I think other than some new cool models and some changes that'll come out in version two o, uh, I don't think there's a whole lot on the on the plate between me and the Ace cards. Uh, so hopefully Ace Traits will get in there. Um, and initially, yes, you will have to play with generic Aces. Um, if you want other Aces, bombard Warlord. Please tell Warlord, release me some Ace cards. Uh, just understand from their perspective, they have Ace cards in boxes with little plastic and resin airplanes. So they tend to think if you have the Ace cards, you won't buy the kit. I, I don't know. Most of most of us in Blood Red Skies seem to be collection gamers. 
uh, in that we'll still go buy the card just to have the physical card yep. and to have a model with it. So, <laughs> Chris, I think you and I have fallen afoul of that a number of times. Oh, absolutely. I mean, th- there has not been a Blood Red Skies release other than some of like the extraneous RAF bombers and stuff like that that I haven't just gone out and got. I don't play Germans. I've got just about everything the Germans have. I've got every German ace there is. And it's just because <laughs> I, I someday, you know, I want the ability that if somebody comes over that doesn't play Blood Red Skies, I'm going to paint up enough German that I can push a friendly table out there and somebody can pick whatever they want and we can play just about any era and and have at it. And and I'm a collection nerd too. I mean, it's it's like the black books from Horace Heresy. Do you need them? Absolutely not to play the game. You have a couple of red books and you play the game. But guess what? We buy all these black books. And it's it's the same thing with Blood Red Skies. And I think they're going to realize that over time. But like you said, they're a, a traditional 1980s gaming company. So it's going to take them some time to, to, to be comfortable with it. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of it is just communicating with them how how gaming has changed. And I think there is a lot more collection gaming than there used to be. Uh, and I don't know if, you know, GW drove that through the Horus Heresy or or what in the game industry drove people to do that. But, but I know I have a, a lot of aces that I bought, not because I needed an extra airplane, um, but because I wanted the ace card. And I wanted to be able to field that guy with the right disc on his... Uh, yep. on his pilot stand and not be proxying an ace. Um, I'm like, I'd take whatever traits they've given him and let's try that. Um, I, so IP, I think it's cool. IP gets dicey World War II, too. I mean, it's... <laughs> when you say IP intellectual property... everybody. Yeah, so. it, it, yeah, with anything World War II or anything with historical gaming and where you're using an actual human being that lived. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah exactly. It gets dicey. The only thing that your IP really has is the numbers that you're assigning to it and, and a trait and the that you've assigned layout. to it. And the art layout. So, true. So that's why so, I, yeah, I, I, the, the I counsel everyone. If you, if you took all of that text and yeah. you typed it in the little note card function in yep. Tabletop Sim, you ain't breaking nobody's laws. No. <laughs> so no. it's, it, you know, I hate for us to have to do that. I want people to know there's a workaround. I wish there didn't have to be a workaround. I, I And I know we all, all wish that corporations behave differently than corporations do. Um, especially businesses that run on, on a on a tight budget line like Warlord. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things where I, I would hope that through public interaction and the groundswell of people that yeah. at least told us how much they like Tabletop Sim, Blood Red Skies, um, that Warlord would really see it as something that enhances the yeah. Blood Red Skies brand. And we, we've all got to kind of be realistic right now, too, in a period of what looks like is going to be global contraction. Um <laughs> Um, disposable income is going to be at a premium. So you're going to see gaming companies being very careful with what they're doing. Oh, yeah. So so think oh, yeah, about that absolutely. from the, the standpoint of, you know, money's dollars and people's jobs. So it's, it's, they're all going to be very, con, you know, considerate of their employees before they're considerate of yeah. other things. Yeah, I know Steve's, Steve's so, worked with a little bit of this yeah. stuff. These guys have been great. So, I mean, so far the fact that Tabletop Simulator is up there, even if it's just the starter pack to start with, I mean, they've, they've, they've gone out there. So they, they, they supported that when you guys said you were going to do it. So that was incredible. Yeah, I, know, I know I just wanted to hop in here quick cause I was listening to that, but I there is not a chance in the world I would have ever purchased a single RAF model uh, other than the starter set if it was not for tabletop sim like it, it would never have happened I have no interest in that sort of realm of the war uh, and it's really I mean hurricane squadron coming uh, more Spitfires coming and uh, yeah I, I would have never ever purchased them so just giving 
giving me the chance to play them and dive into it has totally, I mean, totally they've, you know, gotten more of a customer out of me. Dude, I had walked away from Warhammer completely for 14 years until Dawn of War came out. And installing one computer game on my computer has, yeah, um, um, you know, an entire trophy case of freaking 30K and 40K miniatures later. Um, trust me, computer stuff works. <laughs> it it yeah, reinfects it, it really because does, it's so I casual. Think. It pulls guys in that have walked away um, because it's so casual. And then it, it rekindles some things that you had in you from younger. And, and the thing is it's rekindling things in people with more disposable income, which has been my issue. Yeah. That, that becomes so, my problem is my, I dispose of my disposable income. And now exactly. I, can't, in droves. I can't go buy any of those. Yeah. You know, so I think the, uh, I, th I think the thing is that the, if, the gaming community cannot descend to grognardism or or not descend to 40k playerism of let's just bash the company because companies have to make money and we don't like that. Well, guess what? That's what companies do. Um, that's how they produce this stuff is they pay people to do it. Um, I, I think that if we come to that realization and we kind of try to be good stewards of the IP, they try to be good stewards of, of being able to give us things in batches and not just know that, that they can't give us a, an entire data dump then I think that there's an opportunity for the community and Warlord to benefit. We get to play with a lot of different things virtually. They know they're probably going to sell a handful of those um, to those of us that just can't resist once we've moved MIGs and Sabres around the table. We know we're going to paint them. Um, but I, I think it just it's going to require a little bit of time and a little bit of convincing. And, and as I've said before on the podcast, that's, that's my problem and Andy's problem. I need everyone else's help. Um, but don't think that a week doesn't go by that that Andy or I aren't interceding with uh, people at Warlord to say, hey, remember you said you might think about it? Have you thought about it? And the answer is no. Okay, <laughs> got it. <laughs> the answer's still no. Um, but I will say this. There there are a lot of other cool things that kind of touch Blood Red Skies or, or are things Andy's worked with and other game designers that he's partnered with before. So there may be some other interesting things coming to Tabletop Sim uh, that hopefully I won't be coding because it'll actually be coded correctly. Um, but uh, I've seen some of the emails between uh, Andy and some of the game designers he's worked with, and people are starting to realize the value of Tabletop Sim to, to get people into their game that previously you had to find someone to play with, find someone who knew the rules, someone who was actually good at the game and enjoyed it. Um, and and then that could get you into the into the whole addiction. So... But anyway, I've been talking way too long. It's now over an hour of us uh, doing the podcast. I want to thank everybody for uh, listening to us and definitely thank Steve for coming on the program, talking about campaigns, and Chris and Brett for uh, continuing to take my abuse for uh, another evening. So one thing I wanted to do before Steve got off of here tonight, because I haven't had an ability to publicly thank him, but the three SM79s that sit in my freaking trophy case painted that that never made it on the table, this Adepticon, thank you, thank you so much for those models, Steve. They are absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah, man, I'm glad you uh, like them. And it's funny, actually, looking at them, those were some of the first Blood Red Skies models I did. I'm actually tempted to go back and redo them now and clean them up a little bit, but... Uh... I'm Dude, they're like sick. It. They're gorgeous. I mean, <laughs> when I painted them up, when I got them in the mail from Brett, I was like, okay, let's because Brett kind of sent me a picture, you know, a cell phone picture. I was like, okay, we're gonna see what we got here. Um, the panel lines, they 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 were easier to paint than a lot of the stuff I've gotten from AIM. Um, the, it was a really really stellar job that was done on those. And then I couldn't believe it when I when I got them. I was like, oh, there's there's torpedoes in here. Like I noticed the torpedoes were sticking to the bottom of the plane. I was like, 
he pre-magnetized all the torpedoes. <laughs> I was like, yeah, wow. Was, yeah, I mean, it, I'm, I'm bumming. I want to see him. Wow. You know, I, and it's funny now because I had not played Airstrike when I made those, so I wasn't sure how the laden tokens would work and all that. So now, like, I could just, man, I'm, I'm psyched to make some more stuff, you know, even uh, moving on, putting, you know, uh, wing mounts on Corsairs or on P-47s yeah. or P-38s or rocket, you know, rocket mounts, stuff like that. You could really go all out. Yeah, I saw an IL-2 um, 1946, which is a, an, an online simulator um, for World War II the other night. And it had a bunch of HE-111s with torpedoes rigged underneath that were attacking um, British battleships. It was just, it was some gorgeous footage. I mean, I, I really appreciate those models, man. Thank you so much for putting the time into those. my pleasure. Well, guys, thanks for uh, hanging out in the podcast, and thanks to all the listeners. If you have questions, please shoot them to us either on Facebook, Inside the Ready Room, or if you want to, uh, go ahead and get on the website. We've got a contact form there as well. Uh, but feel free to drop us your questions. I appreciate all the listener questions. We'll try to get to them when we can and get you the answers that you want. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you all next week.